again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Fathers, we turn our attention to what has to be one of the most important portions of your word where you are giving to us what we know of as his Ten Commandments. We know that they're given to us for love really reasons so that we can know relationship with you the way you want us to know. And so God, would you, would you use this series to, uh, to just show a, a picture of our own heart, what's inside and what's going on. And I pray that we would be faithful to deal with whatever it is that would help us clean out that which is by your power and your goodness so that we might have the best relationship with you that we can possibly have. You are so good to invite us into relationship and we want to embrace that. So we're inviting you now, use this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series, if you're new with us, it's a series on the Ten Commandments. We're entitling it The Lovable Law. It's in Exodus chapter 20. If you're familiar with the text, whether you are or not, turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to Exodus chapter 20. As you're doing that, uh, remember this, last week, if you were here, if you were not, you need to know that... There is never a time that God has given a law to his people that he did not give it for the sake of benefiting the people. He never gives an arbitrary law. It's always given with the intention of, I want blessing to come your way, and you will miss blessing without the law. We've made it very clear, never was the law given for the simple reason of restricting freedom. Never. Always given with the ideal of benefiting or blessing the people that receive the law. We've talked about the importance of seeing the Ten Commandments as stipulations for a love relationship, even as a marriage would have stipulations and say, if we are going to be married, we need to be sure and be committed to this and that we won't do this and so forth and so on. That's what is important in building a strong marriage. Exodus 20 is the marriage story between God being the husband and Israel being the bride. So in light of that, I think the thing we have to do now as we begin looking at each individual commandment is to ask two questions. The first question is simply this, what does the commandment mean? If we don't understand the meaning, then we can't go any further. But even after we know the meaning, then we have to ask the question, Why? Why did God give us that commandment? What was his intention? What was his purpose? If it was not to restrict us, and it certainly does restrict us, it's not to restrict us from freedom, it's to restrict us from something for a reason. What is that reason, or what are those reasons? So in light of that, I'd like for us to read the text, which is Exodus 21 through 3. And so follow this as we read. And note this, the first two verses introduce the giving of the commandments. 
The third verse is the first of the ten that we look at today. In doing so, I will assure you, God did not give the first two verses simply because he's saying, oh, you know what, I need to get these Ten Commandments, which are important. Let's see, how can I set them up? What would be a good little intro to them? It's with real intention that he's done this, as you'll see in just a minute. Here's how the text reads. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. Let's look at the first question, and what does it mean? What does this first commandment mean? There are two important words if we're going to understand the text. The first one is gods. What is he talking about when he says you shall have no other gods? And then the second word will be before. You shall have no other gods before me. Is that meaning prior to me or none except for me? Very easy to understand. The word gods. Gods refers to anything or it could be anyone that becomes an object of worship. Upon hearing that, I would imagine that our first thought would be, well, I don't know that I, that I worship anything or anybody. But hold on just a while. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, now it's not the etymology of the word exactly. You could go in, I could go into a lot of detail there. But, but as we translate it and understand it, it's saying beside me. He's not just saying, hey, I don't want you to put any other gods in front of me. He's saying, no, 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 exclusively one, me. I am your God and I alone will be your God. If we're going to get married, it's got to be with the understanding that it's a singular relationship. It's you with me. None other anywhere, before, after, it doesn't matter. It's besides. You cannot have any other besides me. Now, we immediately began to ask the question, well, is this saying that there is no one or nothing that we can enjoy in life, that we can find great affection and fondness? Is, is he restricting everything else and we just have to love him and him alone? Is that what he's saying? Absolutely not. Maybe this is a good way to understand it. Carol has this thing. She forbids me to have any other girlfriends. She says none. But on the other hand, she says it's perfectly fine for you to have some girl friends. I would love for you to have female friends. I would love for you to be friends with my good friends. But that's different than being a girlfriend. What's the difference? The difference has to do with allegiance. So if you want to understand the meaning of this particular law, it's saying you should not have allegiance to any other. Your allegiance is to me and to me alone. It's the only way the love relationship is going to work. It's got to be very singular. It's got to have that kind of allegiance. Now, Jesus is going to talk about it in different ways, saying the very same thing. In Luke chapter 9, it's very interesting. He says, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sisters, in fact, even your own life, 
you can't be my disciple. And that means you can't be a follower. You can't be a real believer. You can't come into the marriage relationship. What? You got to hate your parents? You got to hate your children? Well, it's a term of comparison. It's pulling it outside of the realm of allegiance when we've got a mother, father, children, where we say, I'm not in allegiance saying, I will do whatever it takes to have you as my love. No, not at all. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, look, you cannot have a mother, father, brother, sister, your own life, nothing can take allegiance over me. So if you want to understand the first commandment, just remember the word allegiance. It clarifies it as much as any. This is what Martin Luther said. He said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is properly your God. Now, some may be hearing this and familiar with the Ten Commandments and saying, well, how does this differ from idols? You should have no other gods because isn't the second commandment that you can't have any graven images, no idols? If you want to think about idols, think about it in the first commandment because the word gods would best be, in our understanding, the word idol. Uh, it's, if you have ever read uh, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he calls them idols. Very appropriately, he's not making a mistake. Uh, through the years, I've called it counterfeit glories. But whatever it is that you and I take and say, look, I have got to have this in order for me to be satisfied. I've got to come into, I've got to come into a, a, a type of allegiance in a relationship because if I don't have it, it will absolutely make my life miserable. If I do have it, I can be happy. If I don't, I cannot. So I started thinking, all right, what are some of those things that are most common? And I wrote a list of them, and here are the things that I wrote. I said, number one, security, job, good marriage, children, power, social prestige, financial prosperity, hmm, national freedom, election victory. Do you realize that there are people, and many of us might say, that's me, where we say, you know what, I have never yet been married, and God has kept away from me the thing that is most important to me, and without it, I will never be satisfied, I will never be happy. Bingo, there it is. There's an idol. There's a God right there. I've got to have allegiance with that because that's the thing that I'm counting on to find my satisfaction. People who say, you know what, if I don't have a child, if I can't have a child, then I cannot be satisfied. I can't know joy in my heart. I can't live the life that I really should be living, and everything is lost until I get a child. That's an idol. When somebody says, my marriage is so lousy, if I can't have a good marriage, then I just can't be happy. That's all there is to it. My life is just gone. No, that's not true. In fact, the reality is, and this is what's so deceiving, it is the belief that if I could have those things, and were we to even get those things, it's then an idol in our heart, and that's the very thing that will keep us from the joy that God has intended us to have. 
And so little do we realize we're thinking, I've got to have this in order to find my happiness. And the truth is, it's because I believe that I have to have that that's causing my unhappiness. That's the very issue. They're called God's. And God is saying, look, I want you to be happy. I want you to be, I want you to experience good in life, but I don't want it to be because you've got the things that you hold up to be critical to that end. I want you to look at me to be critical to that end. Because that's when you and I are going to come into a relationship that's going to be so good. It's going to give you overwhelming joy in the midst of the deepest pain life can offer. God's never promised, I'll take away the pain if you follow me. He says, no, if you follow me and you're in love relationship with me, I'll give you joy in the midst of pain and you'll never know what that is till you experience it. But you can't experience it when you've got multiple loves of life that are out there and saying, I got to have you, I got to have you, if I get you, I can then really have happiness. Not so. So let's understand, first of all, the meaning. Let's look at the second question. Second and final question is why did God give us the first commandment? Maybe the best way that I could explain that is by telling a story. Imagine that you are a parent and you've got a kid that's been a great kid, come through high school, never dated, never a problem. You're convinced it's not an issue of any, you know, social problem or anything like that. It's just uh, for whatever reason, never found the right one and, and just never pursued dating. And, and, and you're good with that. But now your child is a senior in college. And for the first time, you talk to your child by phone and your child says, Mom, Dad, I think I found her. I found the one for me. She is incredible. I can't wait to come home for Christmas, and I'll tell you all about her. And so you're anxiously awaiting and say, I can't wait to hear about this girl. And so your son comes home and you say, well, tell me about her. What's her name? Well, I've given her the name Liz. Uh, she really doesn't have a name, but I've, I call her Liz. What? She has no, no, I don't, not that I know of at least. I don't know of a name. Where did you meet her? Oh, I met her in a department store. I was just walking by and I looked up and there she was. She caught my eye and you could tell it was, it was love at first sight. And you begin to ask a few more questions and finally you say, let me ask you a question. Is this a real person? No, it's a mannequin. It's a mannequin. But you ought to see her. Oh, she is everything I've ever wanted. And you'd, you'd, you'd want to laugh if it weren't so sad. You'd say, no. No, you cannot be in love with a mannequin. And what if your, if your son came back and said, let me ask you a question, Mom, Dad. Do you want my heart's affection to be satisfied? Do you want me to have what makes me feel the best I've ever felt in my life? That's what's happened by meeting Liz. 
I stand there and I gaze at her for 10, 20, 30 minutes. I go by nearly every day, spend some time with her. <laughs> and it's just satisfying my heart. Isn't that not, is that not what you want for me? And you would say, I don't want that for you. Why not? What's the problem? And you could give a long list of reasons, but let me suggest two that are the same two that God would respond to us and say, this is why I don't want you to have idols. Because one, no other gods are worthy of your love. None. Number two, no other God, no other God can meet your greatest needs. You'd say to your sons, son, you're a human being. That is a man-made mannequin. It's not worthy of a human's love. And then you say, son, you don't, you don't see this? That mannequin will never, ever meet your deepest needs. I promise you, there's no doubt. I know it will never. Oh, I don't agree. I think those would be your reasons. They're the same reasons God has said, uh-uh, no other gods. Let's look at, let's look at the, uh, well, but before I do, I'll tell you another quick story. This was years ago, and I wanted to, I wanted to have an opportunity for uh, just a, a good object lesson, call it, and maybe a sense of wanting to show this child that there was still a, an ability in old dad to be a little crazy, have a little fun. So we were at a department store, just the two of us, and I said, it's time to go, and we need to find the car. Now, my kids don't have to be very old to know that dad does not have a sense of direction. I, I just, I get so turned around. And so it's time to go get the car. And so we're talking about the car or whatever and saying, you know, we need to find the car. I think it was parked, blah, blah, blah. I think we go this way. And I said, well, hold on a minute. Let me just make sure. And I walked over to a mannequin. And I said, excuse me, I'm, I'm confused about where my car would be. Could you help me find my car? Well, of course, I look over at my kid and my kid's going, what are you doing? Just screaming, you're stupid. And I said, I didn't quite hear you. Say that a little bit like, well, where, where, where would I go to the parking lot? Which way? Which way is it? And I stand there until finally the kid said, Dad, you get, stop. That's embarrassing. Don't do that. Come, what are you doing? Well, I was trying to make a point. There's certain things you just don't look to certain other things or even people to find in life. They're not worthy of my discussion because there's no way they're going to tell me anything I need to know. They cannot meet my need. There's no way whatsoever. And it was just an object lesson. But, you know, it's the same thing for you and me. Do you realize we are doing the very same thing in life when we are going up to gods that are literally mannequins? You've got to think of them. That's why I want to use that term. Uh, the, the title of this whole message is Falling in Love with Mannequins. Because I want every young person here to remember forever that when you pick any person or anything and say, if I can get it, that's going to satisfy me. If I can have her, that will be my satisfaction. If I could have him, that would do it. Just keep in mind, mannequins. They're just mannequins. They cannot meet your deepest needs. They are way beneath your dignity. So let's look at the, the first of two reasons. One, God, no other gods deserve our love. Let's just think a minute about that. 
Look at Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2 again. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, when he says, I am the Lord, when he uses the term Lord there, it's made up of three Hebrew words. One is simply saying, he will be, the other word is being, and the third word is he was. And so if you put all that together, literally, the supreme, eternal, self-existent one who was and who is. That's why he is going to say, you shall have no other gods before you. Because he's going to say, I am Jehovah. He's saying, I'm, I'm everything. I'm the supreme one. You don't want to go to mannequins when you can have almighty God. You don't want to do that. You're way beyond that. The word, your God. The word God there is the word Elohim, supreme object of worship. Literally, I am Jehovah your God. I am the one who was. I am the one who is. I am the one that will be the supreme object of worship. You see, our worth is beyond anything in this world. Do you understand that? We are stamped with God's image as creation. We literally are the crown of glory in terms of all the creation. We're the crown. We're it. We are worth more than the angels. I mean, all of God's creation, there's nothing that compares to us. And he's saying, do you understand this? You shouldn't have any other gods because I am who I am. Good enough reason right there. It is beyond us to imagine how God would say, look, I'll take you. I'll come down. You're not me. Though you're a crown of my creation, you're just my creation. But I don't care. I'm stooping down to take you into relationship with me. And I love doing that. I love you and I want to do that. And that is my right and my prerogative because I created and designed you to be for me. So that's good. But let me tell you, when you say, no, 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 and you look down to the, to the objects of this world called gods, the idols of this world, he says, you don't want to do that. You're reaching beneath your dignity to do it. Second reason. Because only God has redeemed us. It's interesting in the text. Look at verses 1 and 2 again with me. Let's go back to 1 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, you probably know the history, but just to remind you, here is Israel. They've now come into relationship with God. And he's saying, I don't want you to have any more idols. Here's the reason why. Do you remember how I brought you out of Egypt? You were under bondage there. You were in slavery to the Egyptians. Do you remember how I took Moses, your leader? And I said, Moses, go, go tell Pharaoh, uh, I, I'm going I'm to bring plagues. Better let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. Plague one, two, three, four, until plague 10. Plague 10, if you remember, it was all the first male born will die. The death angel is coming over, 
And when the death angel comes by, there better be blood on the lintel of the door, at the doorpost at the top. And so what every Israelite would do then, they would take a little male lamb, a male without blemish, and you would cut the jugular of the little, a little lamb, and the blood would come into a basin. And then the whole family would wash their hands in that basin of blood as they confess the sins that come to mind. And the idea was that that little lamb would take away the sins that are confessed. The lamb didn't take away the sins that were confessed. And if they understood correctly, they knew this. That was not the case. This was a lamb to represent the male lamb without blemish that would later come. The same one that John the Baptist, as he sees him at a distance, says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. So what he's saying is, look, I redeemed you out of Egypt, and I did it with blood that was the storyline of what was to come for all mankind that would know me. It's the blood of Jesus, my son, it is the Redeemer he's talking about. I'm your Redeemer, not just out of Egypt, but out of sin. And he says, do you understand that none of these idols, none of these mannequins, they have no chance to redeem you. They cannot do for you what I do for you. Why would you go to them? So it's just simple building a case. I wouldn't do that. You're making a big, 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 big mistake. Now, there's a second reason. It's not just for the fact that, okay, you're, these other gods aren't worthy, but he's going to say number two. We'll put it up. He says, no other gods can fulfill our needs. None can do it. Now, already he's talked about coming out of Egypt. If you remember the story of coming out of Egypt, boy, did God provide the needs for the, for the uh, Israelites. When they needed food, there was no food. So what happens? Manna comes from heaven. There's no drink for that many people, so water flows from a rock to quench their thirst. They're, they're, needing, they're needing direction during the, uh, during the night and covering, and so they, they have a fire over them at night. In a day, there's a cloud that protects them. I mean, they have so many needs that are being met, and so as, as God introduces the first commandment, He's just building the picture there to say, do you folks understand the way I take care of you? Now, in light of that, we think about the ways that he has done that and why he does it. Let's look at Psalm 115. In verses 3 and following, it says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, they can't walk. They can't make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Now, when you think of idols, you know what you and I usually think of? We think of religious idols. And so as you and I look back at the Israelites, we go, yeah, why would they worship Baal? Why would they worship some of these other gods? I mean, when God was doing what he was doing, why would they turn to, to these cut images that are supposedly a real God as a religious experience? Why don't they just hang on to the true religion? 
So, okay, we get that. Then there are the modern religious gods as well. I've seen them. I've been in many countries of the world. I've seen some sites that would just break your heart. I've seen sites where people are on their hands and knees, men and women on their hands and knees, and they're crawling over the stuff that cuts them and bruises them all kind in an effort to get up to this great image of their God. I've seen where, where they have lights, and some of you know the country, they have lights that are in the windows, and every time you see a light, a red light, it's to mean that's their little family altar. And the family's going to bow before that little red light, and the little altar that's there. That's going to be their religion, their God. They're going to bow down. They're going to say, oh, God, I'll do this, I'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this. And they have all their stuff. And we see that, and we say, what are you doing? I've seen people, and they take chains, and they take actual, like, machete-type things, and they whip themselves till blood is coming down their back. All for the sake of this religious entity that's before them in the temple. And you and I see that, and, and we scream out, not maybe verbally, but we're screaming out, don't do that. That is a mannequin that you're talking to. Stop now. It's crazy to do that. So we get that too. Here's what we don't get. Young people, listen carefully to this one. What we don't get is that it's the same that is true of the modern and I'm going to call them non-religious gods. That's where we get confused and think, oh, no problem here, because this is not religion. This is the most deceitful of all. So here's what I want to do. I want to just simply list maybe the four most common in categories and so that you can take these four and you can hold on to them and look at them and really think clearly, am I investing my love relationship in these four mannequins? So the first one, Number one is pleasure. Pleasure. This is, what, this is what pleasure says. Pleasure says, love me, and I'll give you happiness. It promises, you come, and let's spend time together. I know you, you're married, but no, 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 come over here and have another relationship. Let's have a relationship with me, and I'm going to give you happiness that even your relationship with God will not give you. Trust me, I'll give it to you. Well, let me tell you, it can give fun, but it can never give fulfillment. Never, ever, ever. And how easily we get deceived. Number two, prestige. Prestige says, hey, you love me. Come over here and let us spend some time together. And you come after me. And what I'll do is I will give you self-worth, and you know how good self-worth feels. There's nothing worse than feeling bad about yourself, so just come and, and let's us spend some time together. And you just cater after me and watch what happens. Oh, it can give us human applause, but it can never give us divine acceptance, never. Number three, possessions. Possession says, come on, love me. Come on, love me, because I can give you the world. And people just, oh, you'll get all those other gods too at the same time. I mean, self-worth, oh, you'll feel so good about yourself when you can look and you've got more than other people. 
Oh, this is going to give you happiness. You come to me. I mean, I'm possessions. That's the name of the game. Do whatever it takes. Just come and get me. Well, possessions can certainly give comfort. Never can it give contentment. Fourth and lastly, people. People. It says, love me. Come on and love me, and I'll give you companionship. And that's what you've really been looking for. You know that. Just get the right companion, and then you've got everything you need. Let me tell you, a companion can give you that which meets some social needs. Yes, it can never give us eternal security. It can't do it. That's why Jesus made it so clear when he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? I mean, all four of these. What does it profit a man if he gets all those things and he loses his soul? Those are the very things that keep people out of the kingdom of God. They're the very thing that keep us that are in the kingdom of God from having a great love relationship. Because we say, I'm going to love you, and I'll love you, and I'll love you and you. And if I can have all four loves, I'm the most blessed man of this world. No, you're not. Because they're going to be the very detractors, and we're going to look to them and they're not going to deliver. See, I'll make a prediction that every one of us, I mean every one of us in the next year, we're about to turn the calendar. Next year, we're going to, every one of us, have some issue, some crisis, some time in our life where we're going to feel like, I cannot handle this. This is more than I can imagine. I am just in desperation. And in desperation, we're going to cry out. And we cry out. Let me tell you, none of those four are going to come to our rescue. There's only one that even cares, and that is God himself. And if we're outside a relationship, the psalmist tells us he doesn't even hear our voice. We've got to come in a relationship. That's where it begins, the marriage. We're crying for our spouse, and we're single. He says, no, 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 come get married and get the love of your spouse. Or those of us that are Christians, we are in relationship and we'll cry out, but the problem will be our relationship will be so tattered, it'll be so distant, it'll seem so, because why? The idols have come in and they have, they've absorbed our love. That's been where we've given all of our affection, our allegiance. And so the answer to all of this is just to say, okay, I know the meaning of the commandment. I need to listen and understand God has given this to me because he loves me. He cares about me. Therefore, let me just identify my idols and let me hold them up and let me offer them to God and say, God, I can't crush them, but I invite you to crush them. And inviting them to crush them does not mean, Lord, I'm, I'm inviting you. I want you to take them away. No, maybe it's best that that love of life stay as a very important part of your life but no longer as an idol and maybe as Jesus said hey it's better to pluck the eye out than to have it you know send you into into a, a hell forever because of your use of it but it doesn't mean it's best to pluck your eye out sometimes it's best okay the ideal would be to hold but God if I can't if I can't even have it then if you want to take it away that's your call I'll listen to you but the idea is to say, okay, what are the things in my life that I'm saying I have to have 
in order for me to be satisfied and just take them and say, God, I'm just offering them to you. Here they are. The things that I'm longing for that I don't have, and I'm saying, God, I'm okay. If you give them to me, I would love it. But if you don't, I'm okay. You know why, God? Not because I'm not sad, not because I'm not disappointed, but because I've got the love of you, my Heavenly Father. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, your love is good enough. That's all you're saying. Your love's good enough. So I'm going to invite us that want to have that kind of conversation with God right now, that we close our time. We've got a few minutes. We're a little early in terms of our time. And that's for a purpose, so that you might be able to spend a little longer time than me just closing in a quick word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to, to meet with God right now. Wherever you are in relationship, talk to him. In light of a love relationship, in light of a stipulation, just say, God, hear my idols. As best I can tell, I offer them to you. Do with them as you please. I'm ready to no longer have them be my idols. Would you like to do that? And you without Jesus, not yet followers, you come and say, I'm ready for you to be my king. I want to marry you. Invite him. He'll come and take over your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we do want to do business with you right now. We want to be able to honestly talk to you. And some of us to say, I want to come to know you. I want to come into a love relationship with you. I don't think I ever have. I've never met the stipulation of the first law. So God, right now, would you, would you grant our hearts to, to be open to you right now and, and you come into the hearts of us that are saying, come, Lord, I want to I start the marriage relationship now. And I'll accept what Jesus did on my behalf right now. Lord, for the rest of us in these next minutes, we just want to talk to you about the idols of our heart. And we want to identify them and actually name them in your presence. And in naming them right now, we're going to ask you to shatter them from being idols. If you want to take them away, then you know best. And we'll, we'll offer that because you are number one in our hearts. You are our only God. Lord, if you would grant to us to keep those idols, but not as idols, now as just gifts of you to give us the enjoyment and pleasure that's very right and appropriate, we'll just say thank you, thank you, thank you. But we just want to surrender now to you. So hear us as we privately and quietly just talk to you right now. Father, we want to say thank you for inviting us into a love relationship with you, the supreme being. Forgive us. We're sorry that we've been so foolish to fall in love with mannequins. Thank you that you are Jehovah God. You redeemed us. Thank you that you meet our every need and that you love doing so. So God, let us be wise from this point on to walk away from instead of toward these mannequins, these gods that can do nothing for us but hurt us. We're grateful that we get to live this week and we pray we'd be in your word, that we'd be seeking to establish deeper fellowship and relationship with you, that we would talk to you in prayer and that we would find you to be the present one. 
God, just grant that we might live with you as faithful followers. So we love you. We thank you. We pray in that great name of our Savior, our Redeemer Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.